It's not brain science. It's rocket surgery. This is the Wizard of Mars. Horrors of the Red Planet. The Incomparable. Number 341. February 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. It's time again for our wonderful rocket surgery where we watch a very bad movie from a specific decade. The decade is the 60s. The movie is The Wizard of Mars, retitled later Horrors of the Red Planet from 1965. It stars John Carradine in the exact way that he stars in several films (laughs) as a floating head who appears at the end of the movie. I'm Jason Snell, and joining me in this very, if it's anything like the movie, boring adventure where nothing happens are the following people. There's a good chance of that. Steve Lutz, hello. Uh, yeah, so this is a bad, bad movie. Yes. Are we there yet? Yes, it's a movie I kind of didn't like, but... Uh, I'm jumping ahead just a little. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David J. Lore, hello. Hello. I, I just want to say, let's just leave these here. They wouldn't have lasted very long anyway. Uh. <laughs> Philip Michaels, Happy New Year. <laughs> I just want to say that there is nothing about this episode that is that is not ill conceived in the least. (laughs) I think I think that's probably true. And Monty Ashley, who watched this movie a few weeks ago and said, oh, I have some bad news. It's super boring. (laughs) Monty was right. Hi, Monty. (laughs) Ah, I'm sorry. I feel like somebody turned down the oxygen while I was asleep. (laughs) (laughs) I just crack your oxygen intake and that'll fix it. Oh, sweet. Oh, doot doot. It's true. There's doot-doots in here. So The Wizard of Mars, we may be struggling, although I have lots of notes. I had nothing else to do but write notes because nothing happened in the movie. I took many, many notes in this thing because I was sure if I didn't take extensive notes, I would immediately forget everything that happened in the movie. And I was right. I'm looking at these notes right now, and I have no recollection of any of this. (laughs) They're the rantings of a madman. uh, Yeah. So it's a movie about astronauts who crash land on Mars and then end up sort of <laughs> paralleling. Okay, the premise is they're and paralleling they the plot. No, no. They aren't. Of, no. of The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I've read and watched The Wizard of Oz. It's nothing like this. this. No, story does not check out. Doesn't even sink to Dark Side of the Moon, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. And you were there. And as, you were as there. As far as I can see, there are exactly three references in this entire movie to the Wizard of Oz. That's how many I have. So I, I reject that premise. So now the, the, the smart thing they did is when they when they uh, put this movie out on video or maybe even later releases, they retitled The Wizard of Mars, which makes you think of something maybe fantastical and Wizard of Oz-like but set on Mars, which is not the movie we watched. And they renamed it Horrors of the Red Planet. Which is also not the movie we watched. <laughs> <laughs> There are horrors in the movie. It does lead to the single funniest thing in this entire movie, which is the <laughs> yes. opening credits read, John yep. Carradine as Horrors of the Red Planet. <laughs> well, the best part about that is the original <laughs> font is this gigantic spacey font, and it says like all across the screen in huge letters, starring John Carradine as... as. And then there's this sad little Horrors of the Red Planet that pops up. Yep. Yeah. Steve, I want you to count down the parallels between this and Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Uh, okay. There may be more than three, but... I've got three, too, so I want to see if your three is the same as my three. So my three is one of the characters is named Dorothy and wears silver shoes. There you go. They all wear silver shoes. They're in, uh... Space suits, that doesn't count. But, but she's wearing silver shoes in the opening in right. the opening bit. And certainly her name is Dorothy. No one's disputing that. Yes. Right. Uh, I think the second one is probably the yellow brick road. 
Yes, the they Golden do Road. Run across a road at like forty-five minutes into the movie. Uh huh. And then the third is is uh, floating head. That's all I had. Yep. <laughs> I don't think that's enough to say that this is at all based on Wizard of Oz. Well, it's enough to title your movie after The Wizard of Oz, apparently. I would like to do a dramatic reading of the uh, first sentence of the IMDb <laughs> movie description. This episode's already better than I thought it would be. This is one of the cruelest descriptions that I have ever read of a movie. This, the normally, um, you know, let's withhold judgment, IMDb says, in 1974, four astronauts, silver shoe-clad Dorothy, Overweight Doc, <laughs> Goofy Charlie, and Wooden Steve. Wooden Steve. Crash land on Mars. Yeah. I don't know who should be more offended. Doc, who is merely big boned. Not oh, really that overweight. He's, he's husky. working on it. He's no Burt Lahr. He, his, his spacesuit is very tight fitting. Yeah. Well, I'll say that much for him. He's broad shouldered, he, though. He's a big guy. He's, he's, he's trying to lead a crew. I mean, Charlie is, in fact, goofy. And, in fact, oh, God. if they had murdered him on the, the red planet, no one would have uh, – that would have been a much better movie. Right. But shame on you, IMDb, for, for, for that. I, I got to say, I enjoyed Charlie's capering. Of all of the things in this movie, I think Charlie was probably one of the less execrable. <laughs> he's performing, like, the classic stupid, wacky uh, comic relief lines, but he performs them well. Yes. He's supposed to be annoying. And but he and also he has, pulls and that he off. nails it. He has to carry the big emotional scene where he has a breakdown, and I don't think he's up to that. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also has the, the scene where he uh, he overcomes his fears and decides to get a boost from Steve <laughs> yes. to put a, an orb in a hole to save the day. <laughs> we'll get there. Spoilers oh, for sorry. the Wizard of Mars. didn't want to ruin it. An astronaut, mind you, so, uh, reportedly uh, uh, schooled in the ways of science. And Doc is taking his rock samples, and Charlie says, "Ah, come on, rocks, rock. A rock's yeah. a rock. Rock's no, a rock. <laughs> he's a Who bonehead. Cares? Yeah, he doesn't care. <laughs> no, he doesn't yeah. care. So they, we have these wonderful four astronauts. They're flying to Mars in a in a space airplane. As yes, apparently. Right. Looks well, like, the front of it looks like a, the front uh, eighth of an iron, like a clothes <laughs> iron. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the rear shot looks like a tea light, a lit tea light that's been wedged into one of those things Janet Jackson had on her nipples during the Super Bowl performance. <laughs> that's what I took out of it anyway. Yeah. Yep. No. That's it. Uh, yeah. That's the finest yes. space airplane that 1975 wizardry. could pr- provide. Yeah. And it produces a surprising amount of black smoke that drifts off into space. Also a lot of <laughs> lightning in space that day. <laughs> Unusual lightning We'll get there. We are to the lights. Yes, there was a space storm. So it is it is New Year's Day, nineteen seventy five, the far future of ten years in the future from nineteen sixty five. Happy New Year. Doot doot. (laughs) Happy New Year, they say. Happy New Year. Doot doot. Doot 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 doot. There's no delay in the radio signals back home to Earth. There's, it's not, you know. Oh, thank God! Yeah, it's just like they're on, they're on their CB radio talking to Earth. Yeah, we should also discuss the design of the inside of Mars Probe One. Yes, it seems to be constructed entirely of large sheets of plywood and electronic guitar tuners, and there are also <laughs> mm-hmm. two periscopes for some reason because somebody <laughs> forgot to put in a windshield. Don't forget the Viewmasters so that you yes. can, uh, you know. <laughs> See what's happening with the uh, Cinderella uh, slide that you bought. That's Dorothy's job. It's very good of them to have a woman on the team. Her job is to also look through a periscope. Yes, yes. Dorothy and Doc each get uh, a camera scope 
to be fair, which is what they call the periscopes that descend from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And there is a a small view screen in the front that the, I guess, the important guys, uh, Comic Relief and Wooden Steve get to use. Right. (laughs) And we watch a surprising amount of the first 10 minutes of the movie through uh, that little window that takes up about one third of the screen. (laughs) It's a good use of uh, screen real estate. They're wearing their short sleeve jumpsuits with turtlenecks. That's the space outfit here. There's some really nice, really sweet reel-to-reel tapes going uh, in the ship. I, I thought that was a nice touch. Very pretty. Yeah, there's a moment where Doc, he takes a moment out from looking through his camera scope to stare blankly at the reel-to-reel for no apparent reason. But it's very important because we spend several seconds watching them do this. <laughs> and they have to correlate their cameras in order to uh, approach Mars where they're going to. I wrote at this point, this this scene has all the excitement of watching someone set up for a photo shoot. Oh. <laughs> it's like this is we are unfolding the tripod, we're getting yep. out the lights, got to run the extension cord. It's like wow, this is really exciting. They're going to take pictures of Mars later. This is a space procedural. What do you want? Yeah, I wrote down some very boring talk about image stabilizer circuit when they could be establishing a character for at least one person. Yeah, and for some reason, the camera scopes, which we see the dramatic view through the camera scopes as they're being correlated, feature some sort of an overlay or a heads-up display that prominently includes letters indicating north, west, east, and south, which makes a lot of sense in space. Uh Mm -hmm. Well, it's just printed on the periscopes when they got them. Oh, I see. They repurposed those from uh, some other probe. From a sub. Not space-related. Yeah, from from maybe an airplane instead of a space airplane. Yes, because north, south, east, and west make a lot of sense looking out of a sub-periscope, too. Mm. Anyway, there's a there's there's <laughs> pulsating light and a lightning bolt. <laughs> Any attempt to even be vaguely scientific ha- immediately flees the movie. <laughs> We're experiencing small pitch. Small pitch? I wrote that down, yes. too. Yes, but he the- presses a couple of buttons on his plywood console, and the stabilizer's corrected. But it was a, a pretty tense moment there. Mm-hmm. They did have a technical advisor. It was Forrest J. Ackerman, legendary uh, hey. early yeah. fan of stuff. Yeah, well, I hope he got the first dibs at the at the at the lunch table or something for his work here. Oh, there was no lunch on the Wizard of the Earth set. <laughs> you don't think no so? Time. Everyone was hungry and angry and. <laughs> That would have provided too much energy to the cast. What happens next in this film is that a spacecraft, Mars Probe 1, the first mission to orbit Mars and take pictures of it, is going to go through space lightning and crash land on Mars. They're going to approach something of monstrous size, so monstrous they must turn up the scanner. And then they, uh, then they, there is an exciting crash scene that happens. Yes. So they were not planning on cra- on landing there at all, right? No, no. It's gonna. It's okay. just, and they, they and it, it all happens because of the space lightning. Although it took me two viewings to realize that. Now that I've described that, let me explain to you what actually happens, which is nothing. Like literally, <laughs> yeah. you know what? How we joke about how in Star Trek they like shake the camera and the people pretend to. Sh- that doesn't happen here. The the ship doesn't move. The, we see various shots of people and a screen. Um, they very calmly describe that they're going down and they, and then they crash land. Now, wait, that's not entirely fair because you're completely discounting the scene where overweight Doc feebly squirts (laughs) a fire extinguisher at a sparkler that is stuck in the rafters. There is a door that is clearly not on fire. And he stops, even though it's still sparking. He does. He he ineffectually sprays it in his general direction, but absolutely does not put it out. Well, he realizes that it's not going to be put out and he just doesn't want to waste any more effort. (laughs) Put your brain power to other things, overweight Doc. 
they call him May Day, which is also interesting because, of course, who's out? It's not like there were a boat <laughs> floating in the in the in the bay or something like that. May Day, we're going down. This is Mars Probe One. They jettison the main stage. I don't really know why they do that. Um, and and then as they're going down, we see more far off drawings of the surface of Mars as if they were getting closer to it. Um, and they and and then they have to put their pressure suits on because who knows what will happen the the uh, the hull might rupture on their descent into Mars so they put on their their spacesuits and then there's a lot of um I mean they cut away to the screen for a very long time while while dubbed in dialogue plays a very long time we, yes. we do see as we're descending to the surface of Mars the view screen showing a clear blue sky rolling <laughs> over <laughs> as they put on their pressure suits. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of the uh, riveting plot summary here. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you. I appreciate but between, that. But, but between the, the – no, I mean, you're, do, you're doing a yeoman's effort. I don't need that to come out sarcastic. <laughs> well, I know the plot moves pretty fast in this movie, so – you, know. you could literally sum this movie up in about 30 seconds, and you, you, are, bu- you are building but a we weird won't let picture you. here. Nope. Um, <laughs> Not a chance. And better you than me. But um, between the you, – you mentioned the voiceover and the fact that they're in the spacesuits – and they could not have um, – the director of this movie could not have figured out more ways to to put you out of remove from the characters yep. by not being able to see them or their faces or obscuring much of their expression so that all you basically hear is the, the, the scintillating dialogue of the Wizard of Mars. Um, it, it, it was just a, a disastrous – Decision after another of, of 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 how to construct a narrative and how to bring you into a story and uh, throughout the movie I sat there well uh, eventually they're going to have to um, um, let us see the faces of the people who are actually acting in this movie aren't they <laughs> no nope no they're nope. not that would be ill advised it's yeah. it's so bizarre I mean one of my notes is this is as close as I've ever seen a movie come to simply being pushing around still photos with narration (laughs) and but it's like every person i mean some of them are clearly dubbed in maybe by other people dorothy seems to be entirely dubbed in yeah she's totally dubbed in i don't know if she was some like italian model they met and we gotta get her in a movie doc you we are going to crash on mars oh we got a deborah in now (laughs) damn it why did we cast her you know why the best move when you hire an Italian model for your film is to put her in a shapeless spacesuit for the entirety of the runtime. <laughs> well, she's beautiful. We're putting her in a smock for the movie. Oh, Doc, we're going to crash on Mars. Oh, and, and the one guy sounds like he was recorded in a warehouse yeah. for the whole movie. It, it's not just I, that they're dubbed in because they're dubbed in a lot, but they're, <gasps> they're dubbed in when they cut to that shot as they're crashing, they cut to that shot of the screen. There's like no sound. Like they're just they're they're yeah. in a they're in an empty sound stage recording dialogue <laughs> for a while. It's amazing. And then when they're in the space shoots, you'd expect kind of like some breathing and like a, maybe a little filter on it, like they're talking yeah. in the radios and all that. Nope, no nope. Darth nope. Darth Vader. Nope. Yeah, nope. There's none of that either. Now, is anybody else bothered by how filthy the spacesuits are throughout this entire thing? Even well, it's when a plot com- point, right? At the end, we have That's to see the right. filthy spacesuits so that we know but that... But they start out filthy. All right, well... They look like they were used for some other show and then <laughs> dropped off at the, the costume department and then never cleaned. It, it seems like you're complaining about the continuity of the Wizard of Mars. Well, I'm just complaining about the continuity yeah. of the spacesuits. They have these nasty, filthy, what look like diving suits, and then yeah. this crazy, snazzy gold motorcycle helmet on the top. Yeah. 
It's a lived-in universe, like uh, Star Wars. Like Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, that's totally what it is. It. Yeah, that's totally <laughs> it. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients can make a really great difference in the food you eat. It's important to know where your food comes from. For less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers easy-to-follow recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients, courtesy of over 150 local farms, ranches, and fisheries across the U.S., and it's delivered right to your door. And because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, there's no food waste. It's everything you need to make sustainable and delicious home-cooked meals in 40 minutes or less. Some of the meals available in February include cashew chicken stir-fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice. That was really good. Udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs. Roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad. And crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad. Those are the kinds of things you can make yourself in your own kitchen at home in 40 minutes or less with Blue Apron. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Snell. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. We've been doing this in my house for more than a year now. It's great. It's really added to our menu diversity. And uh, we remake some of the meals. And also the great thing about Blue Apron, if you look at the meals that are available for a certain week and you don't like it, you just skip it. There's no cost to you. So it couldn't be simpler. That's blueapron.com slash Snell. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I suppose it'd be wise at this point to point out that this uh, this was apparently made for $33,000, the princely sum of $33,000. And it shows. And and how much of that was spent beyond John Carradine? (laughs) And after it failed as a movie... He did it as a stage show with special effects for the oh, audience. Wow. Which probably cost more than $33,000 a night to make. I can't even imagine. They made something that vaguely resembles a movie for $33,000. I mean, I think that's somewhat impressive. Uh, yeah, I think that there's probably somebody who's never seen a movie for whom this film would be exactly what they think a movie might be. Which yes. is that there's people and they have an ad- it is a science fiction movie. They have adventure. They walk on Mars and meet a man who was a floating head. What what do you want from movie? It, I mean, it does. I don't know <laughs> why that person's from? Russian, but he's Russian apparently. <laughs> uh, that was well, Tarkovsky. So this was his first. Well, and it it looks and feels and sounds and plays like like a high school project. We yeah. we did a a thing on science fiction films in like eleventh grade where you had to make one. Most of them looked like this, yeah, but right. a little better, you know. But it's it's just that thing of okay, we're in a spaceship now, we're walking on the planet, and now oh. now we have the big floating head that sort of explains everything, and then we leave. Thirty three grand, though. I mean, the film stock had to cost almost that much. Yeah, and there's a process shot or two in there, so there are actual effects. Yeah. So when they crash land, the crash land is very gentle in that we never see it, but they're you know, but then they're on the surface of Mars. They do have a um. There's a really debate, good debate here, Charlie. Um, who is our, our malcontent uh, comic relief guy and annoying. Um, he, he, she, the, the Dorothy wants to uh, send a Mayday call from the surface of Mars, and Charlie's argument is, look, lady, we could call for help, or we could go outside and wander around on the surface of Mars, <laughs> to which I think the captain says, Charlie's got a good point, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Doc backs him up, too. <laughs> now, at this point, they introduce the important plot point of oxygen, Yes. And then, as every other time they mention oxygen, immediately run away from it actually being a problem. The the key line yes. here, Monty, about how much oxygen they have is, we have about 90 hours of oxygen. That's less than four days. Well, that's just good science. Good. 
Forrest J. Ackerman <laughs> nods from the sidelines. Yes. <laughs> Story checks out, Forrest J. Ackerman says. They're going to open their suits intake valves when mm-hmm. they go outside, and the tiny bit of oxygen in Mars' atmosphere will somehow supplement their existing oxygen supplies. And they'll also turn their oxygen down at night because you don't need it while you're sleeping. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> Lord knows you don't need to breathe while you sleep. So now it's off to explore the majestic matte paintings of <laughs> yeah. Mars. Yeah, oh, man. Dorothy is mocked for wor- being worried about this whole plan. <laughs> They've crashed by the, a, a canal, a Martian canal. Um, right. And so they're going to go by raft to the desert region. <laughs> they brought raft. They exit the ship with these gigantic bundles which turn out to be these really crappy inflatable rafts. Mm-hmm. Like every good Mars probe has at least two of those because you never know when you're going to need a raft in space. They weren't planning on landing. I think they were just going to go outside and float around. The whitewater rafting on Mars is one of its greatest features. <laughs> Canals, man. L- let me see if I, I can... U- so so this thing has three things like like the Wizard of Oz. I think I can name three things it has that are just like Frankenstein Island. Yeah, I think uh, including least, yeah. a key. Oh, well, so, so a key, Carradine. a key, uh, <laughs> key raft discarding scene oh, where rafts why are discarded. Do people in movies hate rafts so much. You know what those rafts were full of, by the way? <laughs> Air. Yeah, the the, uh-huh. the the only thing that the plot Mind is about. Mind blow. The uh, there's a brain in a jar, which leads to a floating John Carradine. <laughs> oh, the there's brain in the jar. Always a brain in a jar. I was going to suggest the pulsating balls of light, of which there are plenty in Frankenstein Island. There are many. You know, if they had only thrown in a Jocko, I would have been sold on this movie. <laughs> Charlie, he's close. If only Charlie had gone. <laughs> he, he, but he, he didn't, didn't go full Jocko. He didn't at any point. Well, no, you never go full Jocko. No. No. Th- th- this is actually where I, I, I really became angry at the movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I realized, what, what are we, about 20 minutes into it, 25 minutes? Yeah. Th- but day, it feels, three, feels like three, 90. Three, yeah. three weeks, you know. <laughs> uh, because the premise of the movie, you're stranded on Mars, you're running out of air. That That's an exciting movie, as, as Matt Damon's, as, as TV's Matt Damon proved mm-hmm. in, in the big screens of The Martian. There, there, there are the classic uh, stories, man versus man, and man versus nature, and man versus food, where you're trying to... <laughs> man uh, versus food? Wow. Yes, man versus <laughs> yeah. food. Oh, like those Looney Tunes cartoons where the two stowaways, and they see each other as hot dogs and hamburgers and chase exactly. each other around? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and you do not have to be... Uh, freaking O. Henry to come up with a story <laughs> idea that um, that uh, where 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 you're you're trying to, to generate a excitement in the story and yeah. this manages to actually squander the dramatic potential of yeah we're gonna run out of air soon and and boy this really makes makes us take stock of who we are because there's interminable scenes of them rowing <laughs> no they never once row they just sit in their raft they just they, <laughs> immediately they, once they get into these two these two <laughs> Crappy rafts that are barely big enough to fit four Basically, astronauts. a hillbilly in an inner tube with a, with a six-pack of Budweiser exudes more effort than these clowns who are trying to find something on Mars. Doc immediately announces the current will keep us in midstream. What current? They're clearly sitting <laughs> no. in a pond, and there is zero water movement of any kind. And that's not what the current does. For a film in which the, your characters are traversing the surface of Mars, other than when they're walking through the sand... The all of the raft stuff, they we are led to believe that they are moving, but they never move. They never move in the <laughs> pond, and they never move in the cave. In fact, in the cave, at one point, they fade out on the guy, 
and then they fade back in on the guy and it's literally the same shot and he says well it's been four days and we've gone further down oh. into the cave and it's like what it's- Oh, he doesn't say it's been for. He says we think it's been about four days, yes. which means they brought rafts and guns, but not watches. And well, they have watches, th- but they stop working. Yes, they did. So I they think stopped they working. Say that at some point, and it turns out we find out why. Th- these guys are astronauts, right? So you know when they land, and the guy says, "We don't know how much daylight we have left." Any one of them should know how long a Martian day is. Right. It's about the right. same that's length true. as an Earth day. No, that's which makes it even easier. Well, they're going to seek the main. They're looking for the main stage. This is what they're doing. Come on, <laughs> like a bunch of idiots at Bonnaroo. Mm-hmm. I, I love the part where they're they're on the river and they drift through quote unquote these fog machines going haywire. <laughs> it's just all of a sudden fog, and at one point the fog completely obstructs everything. <laughs> I was like, that might be the best scene in the movie. It's just, hey, I can't see the movie. They're also, we should say, they're all, all the dialogue here is dubbed in. It's this, we're back right, to yep. just like, and it's yep. dull. And Phil, Phil is exactly right. Like, at, the amazing thing for a movie that is an, a complete failure at every turn, at every turn, there's an opportunity to do something inter- interesting. <laughs> yes. And it's like, nope, nope, not interested nope. in doing that. What? No, we're going to shoot this from about a quarter mile away. Yep. And we're gonna... <laughs> well, the closest thing to something interesting in this movie so far happens right here, where they, they're, they're in the turbulent canal, yep, mm-hmm, where the current in is the keeping pond. them in midstream, uh-huh. and they drift mm-hmm. into our first example of Martian fauna, which I believe is the first of the aforementioned horrors of the Red Planet. Oh, yes. <laughs> sure. Giant tapeworms. Yeah. I thought they were centipedes. Some floating paper towel rolls is what it looks yeah. like. They look like pool noodles that somebody has painted white. <laughs> they have leaves for feet. And one climbs onto Charlie in his sleep, but it, it just seems to want a hug. It doesn't attack. <laughs> They're not really that, that menacing, the tapeworms. Yeah, but Charlie's response is to shoot the crap out of them, yes. while a guy off screen is clearly just prodding the rafts with one of the pool noodles. It's not the best puppeteering in the world. <laughs> <laughs> they're a little less articulated than the devil dogs that were on mystery science theater <laughs> oh, that's what dear. they reminded me of just yep this, jim yeah. henson really nailed this thing. one in is what you're saying yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's so obvious there's just a crew member just off screen kind of feebly poking at the raft with one of yeah. these stupid tapeworms we're lucky he stayed off screen they and then they just shotgun the hell out of them <laughs> until Captain Steve says, "Charlie, try and fend them off while we get back to deeper water." At which point, Charlie stops shooting for the first time in the last ten minutes. Uh-huh. Uh, again, these guys are in inflatable rubber rafts while they're going nuts with their guns. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which, to the movie's credit, they actually do mention after he's shot maybe thirty rounds. Yeah. Boy, be careful not to shoot one of the rafts. Oh, thanks. Good news, everybody. They have they have arrived. At a cave. Oh. Yeah, suddenly and for no apparent <laughs> oh, the reason, cave. they're wedged between a bunch of stalagmites. The, the, yeah. the, there's a cave. This Here's is my... how stupid I am. Uh-huh. How, how stupid I am is they got to the cave and I thought, well, now it's going to take off. <laughs> <laughs> now this is going to improve dramatically because they're wow, out of You are nope. really stupid. Nope. This is where the movie stops. They literally are acting <laughs> as if... As if that they have been going downstream, yet they never move from where they're sitting <laughs> in a still pond inside a cave. Uh, they also they the explanation is that they floated into the cave and now can't get can't get back out, which doesn't make any sense because unless they passed out or something, they should probably be able to like get back out of the cave. The current isn't running that hard, guys. I think you could get out. Um, this is where the, it fades out and back in, and he says, "Wow, we've been going here. We've been in here a long time now, and it's like literally they have not moved 
at all. We've been in here five hours five now hours. and no sign of a way out. Well, you're just sitting in one place. You're not even <laughs> paddling, you idiot. There's some steam. Um, and it, yes, it is supposed to be exciting, but they, they literally, I cannot, for people who have not seen this movie, I cannot emphasize enough. There is dialogues that suggest that there is excitement happening here, but nothing is happening. Like literally nothing. Nobody is moving. You're envisioning in your head a scene where people are paddling through, a, through caves and, 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 uh, and there's like different a- camera angles and things. No, they set up at the no. side of a pond in a cave and just shot everything as <laughs> if they were pretending to go downstream. I don't think it's even a pond. I think it's not more than six inches deep. I can see why this would be great on stage, though, because literally uh, that's what it would uh, be, is just oh sitting, sitting on a stage. Put wraps on a stage. In the early going, I assumed that, that at, they, had a, they had thought that at some point somebody was going to make it look like they're moving in post. But had that been the case, you would have expected them to be moving around as though there yeah. was some turbulence or some current or something. And they're not. They're just sitting in place. They're just sitting there. Clearly mm. not moving in totally glassy water. Yep, that's it. That's a cave. We're in a cave, guys. Yep, we're it's still great, in a cave. great, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. This movie is great. I mean, I really felt like I was lost in a cave, so... So they do, and again, Frankenstein Island par- parallel, here it is. They do get rid of the rafts, because who, who needs rafts? They, Monty's point, they're probably full of oxygen. Where we're going, we don't need rafts. <laughs> we, yeah, we might, we might need to, to go down another body of water later. Nope, they're like, we don't need them. They wouldn't have lasted much longer anyway. Discard the rafts. We're done. Yeah. Um, the, the line of dialogue is, don't bother with that. Let them go. <laughs> Yeah, I think the idea is that the rafts somehow are becoming more inflated as they're sitting in them. Yes, no, the, they, they yeah. actually mentioned the, these rafts are about to explode. Yeah, uh, and then okay, and then they sure. let some of the air out of the raft. Yeah, but now, but it's not it's not it's enough. They need to find somewhere to beach the rafts. Yeah, although it is exciting to be in a cave, so it's there's more Frankenstein <laughs> Island parallels here. That's, oh, you're right. And, Damn. And many, many long pans over the cave features that have yes. nothing to do with the movie at all. No, you're right. That's another that's another parallel, just that there are there are caves. It's basically a prequel. <laughs> this is the point at which I, I wrote down, I wonder if MST3K never did this movie just because it is so dull. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sure this, nothing yeah. is happening. Nothing. There have been so many MST movies, though, that are similarly dull like this, like Monster Agogo. And sometimes those issues, those sometimes those episodes are not good, and sometimes yeah, they the are. The rock climbing, uh, rock climbing episode, I forget. Oh, right, or sandstorm. Yeah, the, but this this is basically it. They they looked at the rock climbing segment in that movie and said that is way too short. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, to, this sequence has one of the exciting moments when they find a rock formation that Doc thinks looks somehow familiar because it's just a stalagmite, and then they give up and walk away from it. Oh, I, I didn't mention Fra- Fra- rock, Frankenstein money. Island Parallels character named Doc. Yeah. Yeah. Really? So so it's like, here's <laughs> here's this sequence of climbing and walking and walking and climbing, and you can't do more than that. And and uh, Horrors of, of the Red Planet goes, hold my beer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually thought that um, you could maybe do a really funny riff based on this, but you would literally have to write just brand new dialogue. For all of the scenes and invent your own story. I watched it again tonight to just refresh my memory, and and I was doing that yeah. throughout. I was just because I couldn't not. Yeah, I actually think this is pretty pretty good material to be honest with you. I mean, I've seen a lot of riffs over movies just this boring. Yeah, and there's a lot of quiet spots that you could make jokes during. Oh, so exactly. many. Yes, you could do you could do thirty minutes of stand up in the middle of this movie and nobody <laughs> would notice. At this point in the movie, I actually began to. Um, 
think about Stanley Kubrick's use of sound because any, anything to avoid thinking about the actual movie yes. I was watching. I started thinking about potatoes and the various no, different yeah, varieties. No, I, I could have thought it. I was thinking about uh, baseball scores from the 1980s. <laughs> I was thinking about people who have any- wronged me. I was thinking about um, – I was trying to name cabinet officials from the first Reagan administration. No, no, but I was thinking about, uh, uh, you know, 2001 where they – they, yeah, they, they, they the 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 absence of sound is actually the sound, and here the absence of sound is just because <laughs> we don't know how to do sound nope. in a movie. No idea. We don't know anything about what are movies actually. In fact, as they transition from the cave cave to the lava cave, which is just a cave with occasional stock photos of lava <laughs> as reverse shots, and they've set fire to parts of the set. Yep. The soundtrack changes to what I describe in my notes as. The chimes of Bali, wind chimes from the Nature Company. <laughs> because literally, the soundtrack is just like some wind chimes. <laughs> They're run through some sort of distorting filter, but that is effectively all they, it is. They seem to be, I think I recognize those wind chimes is what I'm saying. I think I got a set of those from my parents at one point. And so we've, we've walked through the same 10 yards of cave for about 45 minutes, only to discover stock volcano footage. Yes. And now that we're in the volcano, they inch along the exact same ledge about 30 times. They do, <laughs> while a voiceover tries to explain the plot away, that we must go forward into the flames because the cave leads nowhere. Why are they inching? The ledge is like 10 feet <laughs> wide. But it's more dramatic. Because of fire. Yeah, there's a very dramatic moment we don't get to watch where (laughs) (laughs) Wooden Steve goes on ahead and we just see this other three dummies saying, oh, there he is. He's all right. He's waving at Um, us to come. Let's go. We do know it's perilous, though, because there's a process shot of somebody pouring strawberry jam out of a jar on the (laughs) left side of the screen. That's right. That's your lava. Wooden Steve was pretty brave going out into the fire like that. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. Especially being that he's wooden. Yeah, he carries exactly. out right on fire. That's, right. that's what I mean. Well, it's a darn good thing they do hustle out because immediately after they get out of that hole in the ground, somebody lights a Roman candle uh, There's a big them. sparkler And there. they yeah. could have suffered some painful burns. Oh, yeah. I mean, I gotta say, we don't know how Martian volcanoes work, do we? I no. don't think so. I no. No. Light you fuse, people, get back. We might. All you people saved. laughing about the science of Mars, you've never been to Mars. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It, well, and and I, you know what would happen if I was on Mars? My watches, my watches would refuse to run, <laughs> as if time were forbidden, which is what which is what we learn here. As if they time decide were that there must be a way out on the grounds that all these volcanic vapors must vent somewhere yeah. to the surface. And at that point, I remembered they're pumping Martian air into their suits too. Uh huh. <laughs> that doesn't sound super healthy. No. <laughs> Also, you know, it does take a human-sized hole for gas to escape. Yeah. If the gas is getting out, I can get out. But the whole logic of this entire thing is we might as well keep going forward because I'm sure there's a way out. Well, I believe it was NASA's uh, David Bowie who once uh, Uh posited in his research paper, is there life on Mars? And now we know. I I am not exaggerating here when I say this. I believe that approximately one-third of this film's hour and 15-minute running time is four astronauts walking into a shot from the left, stopping, (laughs) Uh saying, we've come this far, we might as well keep going the rest of the way, and then walking out of the shot to the right. Literally one-third of the film is exactly that. Now, the backgrounds change occasionally. Occasionally. I mean, they'll do this three or four... They did this for about 30 minutes in a cave, then they did it 30 minutes on a ledge, and now they're about to do it 30 minutes through the same two sand dunes. But it's the exact same shot. 
Well, we might as well keep going. You know that summer vacation you took when you were a kid and, you know, your parents just made you go and, and, and they, uh, they made you go in, in the raft and sit in the raft in the cave and they made you walk across <laughs> sure. the sand and they made you walk past the volcano and they made you wear that stupid space suit. That's essentially yeah. this. This is the home mo- somebody's home movie with a, with a color filter. Ra- I would rather it. watch slides of that summer vacation right? than yeah. watch this movie ever again. And then they got out the gas can and set fire to some of the local rocks. <laughs> yep. Rocks is rocks. They're working out their memories of that. That's what this movie is. No, I, I think it's like Robinson Crusoe, where Defoe purposely wrote every day that Robinson lived through to create a boring, tedious mm. experience so the reader would understand Crusoe's uh, problem. I think they decided to do that in this movie so the audience would feel like they had been deprived of oxygen and forced to walk for four solid days. Well, mission accomplished. I agree with you, Monty, and the reason is... We, they, we discover that their watches are useless and they refuse to run as if time were forbidden. And the next few scenes go along as if time were forbidden, as people walk <laughs> in the sand. It does what it says on the tin, man. There is an endless yeah. voiceover. Tin man. Yeah. Time for more matte paintings. Endless voiceovers, people walking in the sand. I cannot emphasize how long this goes on. It goes on a very long time. Well... We've come this far. We might as well keep going. <laughs> might as well keep going <laughs> until they finally find the the U.S. Air Force Biolab capsule, which is ironically <laughs> funny. Don't you see? Don't you understand? And at, at which point, since it's not their ca- it's not their capsule after all, but just a scout ship, Charlie gets very angry and just begins to shoot at the Air yeah, Force this, property. This is Charlie's <laughs> emotional breakdown. <laughs> this is Charlie's response to every situation. He shot all those pool noodles, and now he shot this biolab. This is actually this was his Oscar clip, man. Charlie's got issues. Poor Charlie. And it's the right move, as it turns out, because he saves the day by shooting the uh, the oxygen tank. Well, well, I mean, he shoots the stuff around the oxygen tank. He probably didn't shoot the tank itself. Oh, he shot the fuel line that was connected, or the, yeah. the line that was connected to the oxygen tank. But they realize there's oxygen in the biolab, so that they're able to why there is... But the point knows. is, shooting solves everything. It does, and so they're able to refu- <laughs> refill exactly. their uh, their oxygen tanks and not die. Thank oh, goodness. Thank God. Hooray! Hey, yeah, this is the, yeah, this is the point Four I wrote in my notes. Days. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going to live. Oh, no, they're going to uh, live. <laughs> everybody, we love having good advertisers support our show. That's one of the things that keeps the lights on at The Incomparable. But in order to do that, we need your help. If you could go to podsurvey.com slash Snell and take a quick anonymous survey, it will help us get to know you a little bit better. And we can show advertisers how great our listeners are. So even if you've taken the listener survey before, this one is new and different. It would be great if you could give it a try. Take it one more time. And once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. That's podsurvey.com slash Snell. And thank you very much for your help. But guess what? There's a storm coming. Time for more stock lightning. Yeah, that's and and a line that you might uh, think that maybe inspired George Lucas many years later. Darn sand gets into everything. Oh, I thought it was. Hey, I think I've found something. (laughs) Well, that too (laughs) could be either one. So the the storm there's it gets dark and the storm is brewing and there's more lightning and and then the next morning they have uh, they they awaken to discover that the storm has revealed some things has blown some sand away and revealed things out in the desert where they are like. 
a yellow brick road, and there it is. So fl- that storm was the tornado at the beginning of Wizard of Oz. Oh, reference right. four. Very good. Right. So, so everything 40. else was the Kansas period. That's why it was so boring. Okay, so 42 minutes in, 42 minutes in, we finally have found the yellow brick road. Um, right. Yeah, but where does it lead? That's what I'd like to know. In in my notes, this is so weird. Like they they all fall asleep. They they they're they're on the surface of Mars, exposed. A huge storm is brewing. They have not found their capsule, and um and then they wake up and suddenly everything clears and there's this fantastical yellow brick road that leads to an alien city. At which point I put I just wrote down I'm going to assume that they all died in the storm and this is just a, like their their <laughs> this is their brain shutting down with yeah. the final moments of yeah. oxygen being fed right. to it. The Wizard Glass of Oz is my favorite lost. movie. Yeah, it is, it is exactly it's right. It's like an incident at Owl Creek Bridge uh-huh. where the guy mm-hmm. is imagining that he's yep. escaped. So just bookmark that they died they died at the USAF biolab. <laughs> That's right. But we're going to move on with this. That's my headcanon anyway, and I'm sticking to it. So Charlie excitedly announces, yeah, but where does it lead? That's what I'd like to know. Mm -hmm. Well, it leads to another matte painting, of course. It does. does. They had to spend some money on their matte paintings. There's there's a city. The, The city has apparently, I guess, had the sand blown off it in the night that they suddenly can see this enormous city? Or maybe it was always there and they just needed the yellow brick road to take them there. They needed the fog machines to turn off. Mm. That could be. Um, And the city, you know what's the best thing about the city? In the city, you can breathe. So you can take off your spacesuit. It's a little musty, but... It's fine. I, I laughed when, when they go into the city and they find that, that, that everything is covered in cobwebs because I, I was laughing like, because <laughs> like, they're like, oh, it's been dead for millions of years. And I'm thinking, well, but there's cobwebs, so there got to be spiders. And you know what? This again, movie, again I'm going to refer to you from the uh, research by David Bowie for NASA, the spiders from Mars. Yeah, th- well, this, mm-hmm. <laughs> this movie has got that one covered because they say, oh, except for the spiders or whatever passes for spiders here. And I was like, wow, okay, movie, you you patched a single plot hole but where were the spiders is what i'd like to know i mean those flies were trying to break our balls (laughs) like a leper messiah yeah all right all in favor of breaking steve sweet hands raise your hand (laughs) look i'm gonna have to break up the band if you do that so i really would recommend against it no more 45 minutes in we've come this far we have to keep going Let's just take a breath, shall we? <laughs> you know, they all died. They all died. It's fine. So they just got here and said, oh, that oxygen thing was too much work for even us. Yeah. Let's just yeah. forget Let's the just whole plot point. Forget it entirely. <laughs> right. So you'll yeah. be you'll be shocked to learn that this uh, this lovely abandoned ancient castle that is apparently chock full of oxygen consists of one hall. One hallway, yeah. Which, which we will walk in front of for the next 20 minutes. Two camera angles. Uh, <laughs> Which consists of just columns and a door. Yep, several columns. Several columns, but but if you if you imagine Steve, the grandeur that that the movie wants us to believe in, um, yeah, the, these are a series of passageways all leading to some sort of central area. Interesting. Do you think? That's never answered what he thinks. It's like, what would that be? It's like the center. The answer is no. No, nobody You're does. Coming in here, no way, no how. But what they discover is that they uh, these columns. They're not columns after all. They're tubes. And there's something inside. <gasps> wow. And it's a puppet of an alien. <laughs> oh, no. I think it's a guy in a suit. You think so? 
Yeah, I assume no, so. It looked puppety to me. Yeah. Like well, they use that mask in other movies that, where there's clearly a guy inside. I don't think there's a guy in there here, though. I think it's just on a mannequin so. head or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if, if if it were a guy, there would be more. The, the puppet b- barely moves yeah. and doesn't register much in the way of expression and just sort of. <laughs> I thought you didn't call Wooden Steve a puppet. I was too busy at this point puzzling over the fact that after spending four days in the desert <laughs> and in a volcano in those filthy filthy pressure suits that their space uniforms underneath are still spotlessly clean. Yeah. This was 1964. People knew how to live back then. Mm-hmm. I guess so. All the dirt went <laughs> on the outside. They were sealed. It was hermetically sealed. It's fine. Except they opened up their air valve and let yeah, in all that well, Martian air. That's true. You got me. Yeah, you don't and sweat that's the point. It was sealing their own juices in with them. Oh, for that's their juices. Yeah. So the cylinder, it turns out that I guess, and this is, again, I'm applying too much logic to this movie, but I guess the alien race that is on Mars has, for some reason, placed themselves in these in these cylinders in a sort of suspended animation, except the alien puppet is looking at them. Charlie is convinced it's looking right at him, but uh, I think Doc says, no, no, no. I think it just senses our presence. Yeah, like through the and sense like, of vision. It's looking at me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not looking at you. It's, it's seeing sensing you in technical terms. Your presence. That's... It's sensing you with its eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sight is a sense. He's, yeah, he's looking at me. It's not, it's got the nothing Doc has said is medically inaccurate. He's a doctor. He is a doctor. That's and, true. And overweight, yeah. according to IMDb. Apparently. <laughs> Thanks, IMDb. Mm. Body shaming IMDb. Oh, we skipped the bit where they discover the door that they somebody's yeah, been yeah, trying I, to I, I was going to say, we, we haven't mentioned the, the little uh, fried out uh, outlines of bodies. That, I mean, uh, you know, there are oh, only yeah. six things in this movie. We really need to go over all six of them. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay if we don't, honestly. <laughs> Well, there's a it, there's a wall, and somebody's been trying to cut through it, and there's some humanoid-shaped piles of ash nearby that indicate that somebody who was trying to cut through it apparently got torched. Yeah, and and one of the uh, columns also is uh, it has been broken open, which is suspicious. Yes. There's a great seat. Well, I I put gr- great in some quotes. Yeah, here. Charlie, <laughs> Charlie accidentally turns on the cutting torch. And we yeah. spend like 15 seconds watching him figure out how to turn it off. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I, ca- I call that Chekhov's, ex- uh, Chekhov's, Chekhov's uh, cutting, cutting torch. torch. Because, yeah. you know, it, it, it's showing up in this part of the movie. So, you know, it's going to figure into the, uh, the dramatic conclusion. Such as and if is. that wasn't exciting enough, now we spend 15 seconds debating whether or not to bring along the cutting torch. <laughs> I've watched this movie twice. I don't remember this scene at all. I think I passed what? out during that scene, but it is. I just found it. It is It is a real scene. Clearly, uh, your bodies are shutting down in self-defense. <laughs> That's right. What is happening on screen. But I, I, I remember it. I can vouch for every detail that Steve has just said. All it's right. possible you watched I the edited you. down version that removed several minutes, uh, I think, due to some Geneva Convention rules of some kind. In a movie like this, Chekhov's rule doesn't always apply because they don't always know it. <laughs> no. That's true. Yeah. I meant Chekhov, the Star Trek character, not uh, the right, playwright right. Chekhov. It, which just involves <laughs> lots of screaming in the agony yeah. booth. So. Chekhov's law is, please take that out of my ear. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> No, people don't obey it. Most they put extraction tools in our hands, made us tell lies. The the whole this whole um, 
movie, by the way, that the Dorothy is constantly there are these long cutaways where she seems like she's in a completely different scene, just looking on at the scene that's actually happening. And they go yes. on a long time. She never says anything or almost never says anything. It's super <laughs> no. weird. It's, it's like great. she wasn't there all the days. So they just have her reacting from off screen. <laughs> I get the impression from her expression that she wasn't necessarily there during the days that she was there. That that may be. <laughs> so the columns are people, and uh, Charlie strongly considers shooting the alien, which be- it's worked out so far, yeah. so it seems like a good idea. <laughs> Wouldn't Steve, though, gets like a mind meld with the alien? His, he does. He, he, he the, does. the alien hand slides up on the little tube, and tu- and, and, and it touches him. That just doesn't like sound Kirk, so good. Just like Kirk and Spock in, uh, in Star Trek Two, and I guess Star Trek Into Darkness too. if you really want to go there. Uh, his eyes roll back in his head, which is kind of creepy, and he's bobbing around. Horrors. The problem is that this goes on for what 15 seconds and his compatriots don't do anything and then when he finally steps away it's like they were they were you know they were okay with it it wasn't that they didn't notice and tried to save him they're like all right let's see what happens we could lose steve steve is having a moment with his alien friends we're not gonna interrupt that they, they watched him and went oh my god something's finally happening there's a couple scenes here too of dorothy staring into space that are that are spliced in as well <laughs> yes this is this is what i was thinking of of like she's just, just to also it. present mm. it's all right it's as if they were trying to share my mind is what i i, I wrote that down in my notes yeah. and i assume that's something that steve says after the mm. aliens try to share his mind and and not just some hallucination i was watching the movie he's learned uh that these are uh these are important like aliens that uh that uh that have been around and and uh that they need to go to a central location to learn more but where i've seen some things man and then he just turns around and goes oh there must be there there's the spot so they go they go there to the center of the city now that this important mind melt has happened. His assumption is proven out when we see a bunch of what appear to be flying handkerchiefs with <laughs> alien heads floating down the hall to join them in the meeting place. Well, this is this is your uh, your pulse pounding special effects scene, I believe. <laughs> there, there's a there's Pretty a pulse pounding. First off, there's a really cool shot where there's a spider web that that it pulls like the camera pulls out of, and then they then they push it away. Which is like that 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 spider web costs money, and then those little um and those little uh alien ghost guys floating down the hall. That's a process shot, right? Where it's like yeah. there's pictures of caves, there's pictures of other th- scenes in the movie, basically pictures of the cave scene, pictures of the alien city scene, and then uh and then robot or I mean alien puppets floating down the hallways, and uh and sometimes like doubled and tripled and quadrupled in a way that it was like, you know. I hope uh, this this will really blow their minds in the movie theater. I think is what the director maybe was maybe was thinking. And then we cut to Charlie with his eyes wide open and a picture of a <laughs> of a of a brain that is that with a light pulsating above it, which immediately <sighs> dissolves into the floating head da, 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 da. of John. Carradine, the star mm. of the movie, the star of the movie, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. Fifty-six minutes in, here comes some acting. Get me that floating head. He he makes up for all the rest of the acting. <laughs> yeah, he he like sw- he takes hold of that scenery and chews it up in ten minutes for like an hour and a half's worth, which is pretty impressive for just a head. I have to say. Oh yeah, I mean he chews it up, it just falls through the bottom of the neck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it lands on that brain. 
He could act more with a disembodied head than most actors could with a full body. He talks for a very, very <laughs> long time. Does John Carradine have a lower body? I've got uh, something about conquer. With their the the people who are on Mars are conquerors of a thousand worlds. They un- uncovered the mysteries of time. I noticed that by the way, the background keeps changing. There's like a stock photo of space, and then yeah. they get bored after a while and they dissolve in the background <laughs> to a different stock photo of space. It's like he's standing in front of a slideshow a little bit. Yeah, for a lot of his speech, there's a galaxy superimposed over his mouth, and it yep. looks like he has a really big milk mustache. <laughs> Yep, and, yeah. and there are points in in the version I saw, um, which is on YouTube. Like half the time he's on screen, some kind of nebula or whatever, or or yes, sun or, or something is just washing out his face. You can't yep. even see his eyes yep. or his mouth. At that's times. not your. That's it's not bizarre. your version. That's the movie. That's what you want to do with your big name talent. You want to put some star fields over his head so you can't identify him. That may have been one of his requirements. <laughs> He has I no want green M&M's in the dressing room, I'll and I it, want to wash out my face so you can see face. that I was in the film. And my, my note here was that this Carradine monologue is actually kind of disappointing because it appears to have actually been written for this movie. Yes. <laughs> I found a completely unsourced website claiming that Forrest J. Ackerman mm. wrote that speech. Huh. So if you I believe a random .edu student account webpage... It is so different from the rest of the movie. I would buy it. I would buy it, too. And, and Forrest was good. My thought was, essentially, the movie stops, and John Carradine <laughs> tells you a science fiction story, or at least the outline of a science fiction story. And it is sure. more imaginative than anything else in the movie, because they don't have to pay for anything. They just have John Carradine there reading the story. And it, it reads like the outline of a... A an Isaac Asimov story or something like that. Conquerors of a Thousand Worlds, Mysteries of Time, Time Stopped on Mars, which is good because, again, time literally stopped in the movie, so we're there with them. How do we stop time again? <laughs> My mind grows weary. Um, but, you know, you, you will know how to start time for it as the symbol of time, universal to all races. Uh, there's a whole, you know, tale of how the Martians came and then receded or the aliens came and then receded and ended up on this planet that goes on again, kind of like an outline for a short story, but instead mm. it's just a, a floating head in front of space objects reading the, the story to you. I had two thoughts while watching the scene. One was, boy, what he's describing is much more interesting than the last uh, hour <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've had to live through. Yeah. Second is John Carradine was in Grapes of Wrath and Stagecoach. Yeah. Uh, more recently, the man who shot Liberty Valance, was, he made that in living memory. <laughs> and here he is sitting like yeah. in a hotel room in a yeah. turtleneck. Someone is clearly <laughs> waving a bottle of gin off camera to keep him interested. <laughs> like, a, a, hey, John, after we stop rolling, you get this. And... Um, it, it just, it, I, I realize, you know, there's there's a school of thought, hey, actors got to act and they take whatever job gets gets thrown at them. But damn it, John Carradine, he stop must, doing these things. He must have had some serious personal problems and or debts because he, yes. he made some yeah. spectacularly terrible movies. Oh, he, he was a world-class alcoholic, Jason. Ah, there you go. Like, you can't get more alcoholic than old Hollywood ho- alcoholic. And I got to say this as, you know, I know, I know the theater world. A lot of these things were he was he was trying to get money for his stage projects. Yeah, that's uh, what a lot of this was too. And <laughs> stage projects must like have... a big old bottle of gin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to drink on stage. I may drink it on a stage. Show. It's possible. 
I would totally do that. Somewhere in here, he's surprised that these people come from Earth, which he didn't. He had only theorized could one day evolve intelligent life. Yes. They don't mm. explain how he knows what the word Earth, Earth means because he no. just learned English. I expected yeah. that to just be a line that would be like, "We come from the we come from the third planet in this system," uh, and and he's like, "Ah, oh, I didn't know you came from there." But no, again, the movie is just like, "Oh, Earth, yeah. yes." It goes the other way. He's the one that says, "Oh, what planet sunward from this planet?" Yes. Also, didn't time stop for them? Yes. So how did we advance so much when? Time stopped. I think they. they I think time has stopped on Mars, but not anywhere else. Like they're locked in time. Whoa! There was still like days. Like the planet still rotated. Yeah, I don't know. These humans walked through it and Uh, used oxygen. I don't know, man. So let me see if I understand this this Asimov story that the floating head tells us. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Their species evolved a whole bunch. They were really smart. Yes. Uh, Conquerors of a Thousand Worlds. empire sort of crumbled around them because they were so focused on their research. So they decided to stop time so they could continue to probe the mysteries of life. But then when they probed the final mystery, they discovered they couldn't get out because they were no longer capable of physical action to turn the clock back I think on. you forgot the most important point, Steve, which is life has no meaning Without death. Oh, I didn't forget that, because he says it again at the end. He does. They, so they replay profound. that part. <laughs> yeah, so that's the lesson they learned. So that they need uh, they need the humans to uh, restart time. And the way to turn time back on is super complicated. <laughs> you have to put a snow globe in a hole. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see where the problem is. So, so the, the, the intellectual puzzle that John Carradine gives our crew is, <laughs> you will know it, for it is the symbol for time, universal to all races, and then a, a gong, the sound of a gong happens at that point. And they says, you can get this sphere. Um, Charlie picks up the sphere and drops it immediately, and I think it's broken, but it actually reveals that I the city Steve, is I think Steve, though. Isn't, wouldn't or is Steve it, the is one who Steve? dumps the orb on maybe the floor? It's, maybe it's stupid Steve. Yeah. Char- Charlie is bickering. <laughs> Charlie's bickering with them. Maybe Steve drops it. But it doesn't break. It's well, just nice like job, Captain. Cut off. Like, it's just revealed that the snow globe contains the, the city. This turns out the symbol of time anyway, people, that's universal in all worlds, is like a, a pendulum clock with a, a picture of a, an anthropomorphic sun on the face of the, of the pendulum. Yeah, and uh, a bunch of gears. And a bunch of gears, and then a hole in the center that se- seems to serve no purpose. It's sort of like, this, like maybe like the screw or the bolt that holds the whole thing together. But it turns out if you put the snow globe in the hole... Maybe something good will happen. Yeah, I've tried that line before. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's too high up. They can't reach it. Oh, oh no. What and will they everybody do? Everybody dies. The movie's it's just over. out of reach. Yep. There's no way they could reach that. I can reach it. So you know says what? They, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie can reach Give it. Give me a hand. Give me a hand, Steve. Apparently, completely off screen, there's been some sort of a heroic journey that Charlie has been yeah. on because <laughs> that's how they learned to be a true family. Was that it? Friendship. It was only when we came together as a team that we could boost someone a couple feet up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, sort of as a team. I mean, Steve boosts him, but uh, Doc yeah. does nothing. And- nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and Dorothy's in another movie. Didn't he, Steve? Didn't he? I, did. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say that the big sun pendulum is actually a pretty good set piece. I feel like probably yes. 22,000 of the 33,000 went into the building. <laughs> it's possible. This thing. 
it doesn't make any sense because time time is a clock is weird, but it 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 is a an actual set piece. I bet you I could build that for five hundred bucks. The cultures on Earth before they developed clockwork didn't have a concept for time, according to this Yahoo. They stick it in the hole, people. They stick it in the what? hole, and the <laughs> oh, pendulum stop being dirty about stuff. And the pendulum <laughs> begins to swing. Ooh. We're saved, Which, you know. The swinger. <laughs> At yeah, which point, right. John Carradine's voice appears again and says, Do not gaze upon time too long, for as you do, your own destiny awaits you at the end of the Golden Road. Oh, disciples of the Golden Road, ye <laughs> shall have the power. He doesn't Listen, say the John, part. I would love to stop gazing on time for too long, but this shot goes on for about 35 seconds. There's nothing I can do about it. I implore it. you, hey, moviegoers. Hey, hey, John Carradine gives good floating Do head. not gaze upon <laughs> this film for too long. Oh, I did. Your own destiny awaits you at the popcorn booth. Well, you know, they paid for that big that big <laughs> pendulum. They're going to show They're, it. They show while. it a lot. It's actually pretty complicated, though. Like, the one gear goes when it's rotating one way, and yeah. then the other gear goes when it's rotating the other way. The pendulum swings faster and faster until it splits apart, and there are two pendulums. That's a weird part. <laughs> I'm like, all right, okay. Now there's two, because they do a double exposure sort of thing. But they, they have to run. Now that John Carradine has warned them to not gaze upon time too long, they have to run. And this is the best scene because <laughs> it's the last one <laughs> as they're running out there is one corridor and there are two camera angles and they literally just keep running through that corridor <laughs> like six times and it's only the two camera angles and it's very clearly the same corridor now to their credit they are they're putting like throwing rocks and garbage at them because the city's supposed to be coming down around them pelting them parts of the map painting are dissolving at this point it's yes. it's very dire while some key grip is chucking stuff from them from the ceiling. I was envisioning a gleeful group of people throwing dirt at them. Key grip? You mean the director. Mm, yes. The only other guy on the set. There's a, there's a very important scene where they reach the door and they have to turn around for some reason and Charlie drops his gun and we have to stop for a second to decide Just leave whether it. Charlie will go back and get the gun. Well, that's drama. That's ex- that's building the tension, Steve. Will Charlie get his gun? Yeah. I mean, that's what he has like the deepest personal connection to in the well, whole he's movie. Been, so. They can't shoot other things to solve problems if they leave the gun behind, but they do. Charlie gets things done with that gun. They uh, they run out into the desert. We don't actually see the all-important transition from them no. leaving the castle, going into the desert. No. <laughs> we, we never see any of the transitions. We just see the results and the, the, the before and after shots. Yeah. So they're in the city and then they're in the desert. That's uh, right. In As the, you say, in, without their helmets without or anything. their helmets or anything, because it doesn't matter anymore because the movie has given up. But they do immediately pass out in the sand, so maybe there is some continuity here. I I don't know. They were there. They feels like they're running for a long time, but they do they do finally collapse. Well, they collapse on the yellow brick road from before, which is just over the hill from the uh, right the castle. Right. So they went a little bit of a ways. Right. They they had to go uh, over the hill there. But they collapse. Well, as we know, there is a little bit of oxygen in the Martian atmosphere. Oh. Come on, cut the movie some slack. No, and try. no. Put the spacesuits. We had to watch those stupid people in those stupid spacesuits for the whole movie. And then at the end, they're like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. We forgot the only it's thing fine. the movie's about. It's like, don't you want to get out of here sooner? Just let it go. They could have just. They could have just had them vanish in the in the city instead of going back out into the desert, because that's what happens. Not only do they collapse, then they just are gone. And they don't even fade away. They just blink and they're gone. They're like, stop they the... They said, out of existence. Yeah, they stopped the camera, had everybody get out of the shot, and then, uh, and then started the camera again. They disappear. And that gives us a classic, or was it, 
ending to the movie, which is we are now back on oh, Mars Probe be... 1. <laughs> oh, just like in The Wizard of Oz. I was wrong. That's right. There's another the one, right? version. And and you were there, and you yeah. were there, and you weren't there, but No, only, not only if Annie M is like mission control does the Wizard of Oz parallel work. Annie M is the periscope. <laughs> and they say, come on, come back, Mars Probe 1. You're two minutes overdue to report. And the and the response from the crew is two minutes, two minutes, and then John wow. Carradine does a reprise, and it's the end of the movie. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh-huh. what have we learned? Yeah. As I was watching this ending, I like to think that th- this was originally pitched as a, a Twilight Zone episode, and the, the 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 writer, who I believe is also the director, I believe this was yes. uh, pitched yes. by David L. Hewitt. Um, Stage magician David L. Hewitt, as he's described. <laughs> yes. Well, sure. And he pitches it to Rod Serling, and and and, and um, there's this awkward moment of silence. And Rod Serling says, "Get out of my office! You don't understand a thing about my work." And then for the rest of the day, Rod Serling just sort of sits there staring into open space. And he, you know, instead of going straight home, he sort of drives around and contemplates what his life is like and and how. How, how badly his his point of view and his artistic uh, 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 goals could have been misinterpreted by this, and and you know he sort of sees a billboard about uh, you know going in and taking a cooking class, and he says, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do with my life now. I don't want to make TV anymore. And he enrolls in a cooking class, and he becomes a very famous chef. And he meets some people, and, and goes to Paris, and gets a Michelin star. Anyhow, that's what I like to think happened. Keep going. I want to know what happens. No, next. no, no. I like to think that's what happened here in Wizard of Mars. That's how we got the night kitchen. Yeah, exactly. That is a better story than this movie. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, and then John Carradine appears as a head and goes, "You make a sauce." Do a reduction for your steak, Rod Serling. He's just holding the menu down below his head. His whole body is there. He just can only see the head above the menu. Can I get some appetizers started for you? Perhaps perhaps some asparagus. Have you ever studied Brillat Severin? Wouldn't you be terrified to order anything from Chef Rod Serling, though? <laughs> well, it's great because the ending always takes you by surprise. Imagine if you will. Pork. Ah. Yeah, they keep you in the bag. It's it's Rod Serling's It's a Cookbook. I know he didn't write that one, but still. (laughs) The dessert is on the wing! Turns out it was brunch all along. (laughs) (laughs) Submitted for your approval. A mimosa. The check. (laughs) We, We don't take credit. Should have mentioned that up front. I'm not very good at running a restaurant. I used to be a TV writer. Then a guy came in and pitched a thing about the Wizard of Mars. And then I started doing this for, for a living. So cut me some slack. I'll take cash, please. I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am. He tells this story to everyone. Welcome to Rod Serling's Restaurant. We have one special today. It is the Monsters Are Due on Maple Syrup. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> To serve Manchigo is our cheese platter. <laughs> I've got Eye of the Beholder, but I don't I don't know any dishes that actually involve eyeballs. Time enough so at I'm last, which is one. really just a plate of the herb time. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I wish I had more detail from the Yelp review because it just says it's a good thing. That's a real good joke you made there. <laughs> it's real good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. Well, this has been great. So I've got a story about David Hewitt. Yes, I, I would like to hear. You you, you uh, have an interesting historical note about this film. <laughs> All right. So this guy was a special effects guy and stage magician, and he had directed something called Monsters Crash the Pajama Party. And he wanted to make a big science fiction epic, which turned out to be this movie. So <laughs> he met a bunch of vending machine operators, <laughs> and they wanted to get into the business of making girly flicks. And he talked them into, no, science fiction is where the money at. So they put up their $33,000 to make this movie, and they form a real cheap film distribution corporation. And they need other films along with this one. So it turns out that they were the ones that put up the money to get the movie Spider Baby out of the lab. Jack Hill made this crazy movie, which is much more interesting than Wizard of Mars, called Spider Baby. And it was being held hostage by the lab because he couldn't pay pr the uh, processing fees. But thanks to Wizard of Mars, Sp Spider Baby was freed and actually toured with this movie as the B movie because it's in black and white, which means it can't be as interesting. So Man. something came out of... The Wizard of Mars. So what have we learned? Anything? I have learned that John Carradine will do anything. Yes. That, that, Pretty much. That is true. I'm pretty sure we knew that. This, this movie has a story credit and a screenplay by credit. And I want to say the story outline of this, like we've said a couple of times now, this could have been a perfectly interesting movie without really spending a lot more on, on the budget. It could have been shot a little bit better. But just from dialogue, right, with just basic competence of storytelling yeah. and uh, direction, put it, a character it, in just one. The, Charlie counts for like a half, maybe thirty-three thousand dollars, guys. Thirty-three thousand dollars. It's true, and twenty-eight thousand of that was spent on vending machines for the crew and cast. Yes, <laughs> it, it went. A, it went a long way back then. Yeah, it's nineteen sixty-four. That's a. What I've learned is that occasionally when we do old movie club, I I, I feel kind of bad if, there, <laughs> if there's a long movie and I go, oh, I'm really kind of imposing on people. To, I don't feel bad anymore. <laughs> Good. I will never feel bad about anything I make you people watch again. Yeah. Well, this at least was a trim hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. No, it got right. in and out. It just it, it, felt yeah. like four hours. That budget, by the way, in modern dollars would be, it's about a $250,000 movie. So. Hmm. Doesn't seem so good anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I watched this twice because I yeah. was drifting off through most of the first viewing. <laughs> and on uh -huh. the second watching, it wasn't nearly so bad. Because I was expecting nothing to happen. And so I got to really appreciate the random shots of Dorothy just staring oh, so many. <laughs> off to the side of the candy or the camera. And, yeah. And uh, all the many, many same shots of the same little two-foot section <laughs> cave that they had. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, if you don't have any expectation of anything happening... It could be worse. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's not. It's not as bad as it was the first time through. Be, yeah. Just because I could appreciate the badness of it without yeah. expecting anything. And and like I said, I think this could have made a pretty solid MST episode. Lots of wide open spaces to uh, to fit. Uh, you know, whatever ramblings you want to throw in there. Long, the, long riffs. Yeah, bits oh, yeah. where the same thing is happening over and over again, and you can kind of take a little slightly different angles on the same material. Yeah, that's always unlike the movie. Amusing. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a short movie. Then you get John Carradine for ten minutes, just just 
ranting. MST and Roger Corman films have trained me to expect something going on after The Walking. And The Walking is going to be long, but it's not going to be that long. And then something happens, and then there's more walking. And this, the first time through, is just all the walking. And, you know, once once you don't have to worry about going, hey, now what comes next? It's like, okay, okay. So I, I think what we're saying is the first time you watch it, it's bad because it's too suspenseful. <laughs> No, not that. Not quite. <laughs> Just saying it's it's easier to deal with when you know what you're dealing with. It's like eating one of those Twilight Zone dishes, but you know you've, you've had it before. You know how it's going to end. I guess it's because on the second viewing, I was occupying my mind with stupid things that I might say where I would write a riff about this thing. Yeah. Yes. I, I spend a lot of my viewing doing the is. same. I knew I didn't have to concentrate on the plot or the action on screen or the set or the actor's... See, I was paying a lot of attention my second time because I wanted to see if they actually explained something. Like, right, I remember they cared about oxygen and then they took their suits off, but I wasn't going to rewind and see what happened. <laughs> and in this case, it is just one line where they say, well, good thing there's air in here. It's yep. breathable. <laughs> no particular reason yep. why. Nope. So having to constantly be alive for any chance they mention, well, these sand dunes all look alike. Yeah, they do because it's the same sand dunes, idiot. Yeah. I think Charlie said it best when he announced, sure, it'll work. Sure it'll no work. reason why it shouldn't. <laughs> Is there? Their May Day plan wasn't going to work because the nearest people are not four days away. No, they're nine months away. Well, no, they're talking to that, uh, they're talking to that thing that's floating in space that they say doot-doot to, right? Yeah, but what's it going to do? It's just going to say doot-doot. <laughs> yeah. Doot-doot. Well, I mean, maybe they're local to Mars. Maybe they're orbiting Mars and they could send something down I don't to pick think them so. Oh, these are the first people that will ever orbit Mars. Yeah. Did they say that? Yes. Yes. They're Mars Probe they're 1. They're Mars Probe 1. <laughs> they're not counting backward. It's the last one. We're running out of are, Mars Probe. That's why something went wrong to this one. We have reached the end of our discussion of the Wizard of Mars. Have we? We have. Have we, Jason? We have. If you've got more Twilight Zone episode titles, though, I'll take those. Uh, okay, hang on. I would like to thank my guest. Mr. Bemis? I can't do anything with that either. Uh, terrible. Thank you to my guests for being here. Uh, Philip Michaels, I, uh, yeah, don't feel bad about old movie club ever again. Nope. You're gonna, <laughs> we're, we're doing foreign movies next okay, time. Great. You're going to have to read your movie, jerks. Okay, fair. <laughs> fair. Monty Ashley, thank you. Uh, this must have been a real jazzy place in its time. Mm. <laughs> David J. Lore. Sparkling. Thank you. Has it only been two minutes? And uh, Steve Lutz. Thank you. Yeah, we've been in here five hours now and no sign of a way out, Jason. It's true. Oh, wait. I think I see the way out up ahead. Oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. It's a lava. Don't, don't touch the lava. We did it. Hey, look, he's waving at us. I have been your host, Jason Snell, and uh, until next week, I remind you, Happy New Year! Doot, doot! Doot, doot! Oh, uh, Cavender is coming with your meal, sir. Oh, there, there we go. go. Oh, oh. That's quite an episode you chose, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm talking Tina, and I'll be your waitress for tonight. <laughs> One for the angels' and no, food No, no, Phil, Phil, I'm talking Tina, mm. and I'll serve you. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Not so good, not so good. <sighs> It's good. Electric grandmother's apple pie. It's real good. Real good. Four of us are dying for that dessert we ordered. (laughs) Oh. The the twist is, there is no dessert. (laughs) 
in the Twilight Zone. <laughs>